0: Dear God, thank you for this, thank you for the day, thank you for the blessings of it, thank you that we can study your word, pray that you would help me to clearly communicate the truths that uh, I've been thinking about for the past several weeks, and that our discussion would be profitable and helpful, and aid us all in our attempts to share the good news of your Son, in your name we pray, amen. So last week we discussed, oh first of all, there's a sheet on the back, uh, there's two sheets on the back, one is an article and the other is the blank sheet for notes with some review information. Um, last week we discussed the topic of God's sovereignty, particularly as it relates to personal evangelism. And We define God's sovereignty as the inherent right, so that which inheres, or flows out of the character of God, who He is. So it's the inherent right and power of God to control all things as He pleases. So in other words, as uh, Psalm 115.3, I believe it is, says, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. God gets to do what God gets to do because He's God. Because it's inherent authorization and power and we said that God controls specifically with respect to evangelism God controls all aspects of evangelism and we looked at evangelism our personal evangelism from the specific angles almost like uh, the different facets of a play we looked at the message we considered the messenger we considered the opportunity or the circumstance itself we considered even the recipient and we looked at each one of those, and we dove in just a little bit in each category and looked at how God is yet uh, the divine appointment maker. who controls that opportunity or circumstance. We consider the fact that he is um, sovereign over each one of us as we communicate and we fumble and, and stumble over our words and don't necessarily always communicate as clearly or as, or as boldly as we want. We talked about how we saw from Scripture how He is sovereign even over the recipient and the recipient's response to the Gospel that only God, through the Holy Spirit, working in the life of that person uh, can affect any sort of change, can ever take that dead person and raise them up to spiritual life. We looked at how God is sovereign over the message that when we're unclear, that God can take... The foolishness of the message of the gospel and that in and of itself is the power of God in the salvation. And so my point that I was driving to last week was that confidence in God's sovereignty fuels confidence in our own personal evangelism. So the more confident that we are in God's sovereignty over all things, in particular every aspect of personal evangelism, we ought to have more confidence, more boldness in our personal sharing of the good news of Jesus with other people, and that was the whole driving point of last week. So this week, my goal is uh, simply just to discuss with you uh, the idea of relational evangelism and to suggest ways that we can all get involved because we're all we all have relationships. And I'd like to, at times today, get really practical and figure out, like, have you write down who, who is in your sphere of relationships and and try to be real uh, brazenly practical about how we can get on uh, this train and start sharing the gospel with those who we are closest to. So to understand relational evangelism and see ways that we can get involved. So question number one, what is relational evangelism? If you had to define it, if you've noticed every class I'm giving, I'm defining or making you define stuff because I think as one of my systematic uh, theology professors said, uh, definitions are the stuff of good theology. So he loved defining everything. So what is relational evangelism yes This is not my definition. This is by a guy named... uh, His last name is Musgrave. Uh, This was from the original curriculum that Pastor Ken had... um, we had looked at using. And he writes, Relational evangelism is taking the most important message in the world, the Gospel, developing a genuine, heartfelt relationship with another person, and within the context of that relationship, giving them the Gospel. So, it's, this is not hard, not rocket science. Building relationships, having knowing the gospel, and then within the context of that relationship, communicating the gospel. I'll leave it up there for a second for those of you that are writing it down. Taking the most important message in the world, the gospel, Developing a genuine, heartfelt relationship with another person and within the context of that relationship, giving them the Gospel. And if you can't remember that or you don't have the whole thing written down, I can email you the notes because we're going to keep going. Question two, what do you think some of the foundational or core components are of relational evangelism? So I asked similar two similar questions last week. I'm trying to get you to think more deeply or more fundamentally about this idea of relational evangelism. Trust. Trust. Okay. Can you expound on that? Um, That's a great answer. That's one of my answers. So, of course, great. Um,
1: so. the, per, um, the person that you are interacting with that you have done. Gender- Care for um, you, They well, you trust each other. So how do you, how do you trust somebody you, um, you have to interact with them? And sometimes, and also maybe go like at work. I think of work for me. You um, sometimes have to go through some challenging times and work um, together on those. And get to you can develop trust in that.
2: That mm-hmm. yeah. It really needs to be a mutual relationship. It can't be one side just you think you have a relationship with the person. But um, they have to be, want to be in that relationship with you as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Reciprocity. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Laird? Just reflecting on what you said, can that it seems like you're really highlighting there that it's a real relationship. It's not. It's not a prospect. It's a real
0: relationship, right? As I will say later, it's not just a sales transaction where it's like, oh, you move, you've you got this target, and you go after that target, you share the gospel, they reject it, so you just like, oh, you move on to the next target, right? It's that that that's not a real relationship. Yes.
4: At the core of this is you know, choosing to be genuinely interested in another human mm-hmm. being. Yeah.
0: Time. <laughs> yeah. Gotta spend time with the person, right?
1: Archie? Um, I think you have to go into it realizing, too, that there could be rejection and how you're going to deal with that afterwards because I have two friends and utter rejection. And so then there is awkward. Like they feel like there's going to be awkwardness. So you need to make sure that it's not you know,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I had an opportunity. Um, I got a friend at work. He, he and I go to lunch just about every week. And... There was some—I can't remember exactly the scenario—but there was some sort of suicide that was in the news, and he asked me when we went to lunch. He asked me about suicide in this relationship, like, well, for that person, you know, like, like, do they basically automatically go to hell? Whoa! (laughs) But within the context of that, I was able to just say, well, here's what I think the Bible would say about that, right? And then I just kind of kind of walked through the gospel with them, and and I just point blank said, I was like, and this is something I think you need to, like, I know that you don't believe in us, but you need to believe in us, mm-hmm. but even if you don't,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I'm still going to be your friend. Mm-hmm. I actually spelled that out because I work with them, with a bunch of other believers, and I could totally see that unintentionally happening. You know, where someone shares the gospel and they're like, oh, well, he, he, want, he has his own re- reasons why he would not accept the gospel. So, But that's no reason to not be his friend anymore. Again, it's not a sales transaction. So I, I have... Three came to my mind, and there's more. You guys have listed way more, and those are all good. The three were, were credibility, confidence and conversation and we're going to get to the conversation part later but credibility the idea that I as the messenger you as the messenger have some sort of relational credibility with this person that they would actually want to listen to your message right if, you're, if your life is a train wreck and we all have experienced moments of our life but if our life is such a train wreck to the extent that our testimony, and what what I mean by train wreck is our testimony has been just smashed to pieces. We have have little to no credibility. Mm -hmm. So when we go to share the gospel, we have a problem. So there has to be credibility in the message that we're going to communicate based on the way we live. There also needs to be credibility from a relationship standpoint in the way that we actually relate to that person, is it a genuine relationship? Is it, as our initial definition said, is it genuine and heartfelt? Is it an actual friendship, or are we treating it as a sales transaction? We're going to move on when you say yes or no. The second is confidence. This is—I should have said trust because it would be more—it uh, uh, would be less misleading—but. I liked all three C's, so pardon that. But confidence, the idea of trust, the fact that that person needs to be able to trust you so you're credible, they have to have confidence in you. That there's a, that they can share, that they can reject, as Marcy said, and you're still going to love them and care for them even when they reject your message. And then conversation, credibility, confidence, confidence. In conversation. A relationship, as we're gonna talk about later, is only so good. Right? The relationship will never save that person. Our relationships have to move into the conversation about the gospel, or else they're just relationships. (coughs) So the core components, credibility, confidence, and conversation. So can you think of any texts of scripture? Where relational evangelism, as we've defined it, is either taught or maybe uh, implied or exemplified. This one's hard, I okay. have to have a, a reference. You could just blurt out the general idea. Typically what I, I have in my mind, and then I have to Google it, because I can't remember where it is. Paul He yeah. a relationship
2: with the churches that they Thessalonica or, Ephesus or whatever. He had a, he had a relationship with them which included giving the gospel to him seeing them converted, and then continuing to uh, pass through them, so to speak, through his letters that accepted them, so okay. I don't know if that's what you're getting at. Where?
3: Um, I think this is, well, I think it first Peter three. where wives are told that uh, if they have non-payment president... If they see the purity and reverence of their lives, every Yeah.
1: It makes me think of the type for where older women are taught to teach and be to the other About birth and
0: family? Sure. So I'm going to read an extended passage from John chapter 1. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Jesus said, Come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, and he had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which was trans, which when translated is Peter. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So what happened? Promise, this is not a trick question. I know it's so obvious that you're thinking, he's trying to trick me, but I'm really not trying to trick you. What, ha- what happened in this text? Unless you fell asleep, there's th- it's probably... Yes. Okay. John testified, this,
4: this is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. People listened. They followed. Then Jesus said, come with me. They followed him to where he was. And they spent the day with him. And then they went telling other people. And we know from where we're at now that... They told other people, and other people told more people.
0: It's and so. That there
4: were like 3,000 people at one time who got saved.
0: So, the first thing, verse 41 says this the first thing Andrew did was to find who?
1: His brother. His
0: brother. Mm-hmm. And tell him, we found the Messiah. So, he didn't go to a stranger, although that's fine if he did. But all these dudes went to their friends or their family. Mm hmm. They went to those to whom they had their closest relationship, and what they they met Jesus, and then they said, "Hey, come and see Jesus." And then that person came and saw Jesus, and they went in to their friends, and all the way to us. And we have the opportunity to do that. It doesn't. It's not the only way, but it is a way, and probably one of the easier ways. To invite people to Jesus. Hey, come and see. I'll never forget when I was in uh, high school, my Bible teacher, Pat Griffiths, he, he walked through this, this text and he talked about this idea of inviting people to come and see. I've never forgot just that phrase, come and see. And it's, I mean, it's right from the Bible, but it's so easy to remember. Hey, come, come and check this out. Okay come and check this out and then come and check this out and that just keeps multiplying so based on what we've discussed so far so larry you cannot contribute to this question because we've already discussed this but how would you evaluate this statement share the gospel use words if necessary I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I got the air pumping too hard. To so like that, to that is, that is what the statement is after. Yes. But I'm asking more. So that's what the statement is getting at. My question is, what do you think about it? I
4: think it's bad
0: think it's backwards.
4: I, I, I think that, that living out the gospel is absolutely necessary. But Jesus said preach the gospel. He said speak it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it can't just be
1: our behavior.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you nailed it. That's what... <laughs> a plus it's like you were eavesdropping on our conversation but <laughs> I think that that's it I can't remember the we had turned it to a different way and I can't remember what that is now but we had changed it it was better but it wasn't nearly as cool sounding and clever but it was like basically share the gospel and use words too or something like that because it's a conversation right? You have, to have, you have to share the truth of the Gospel. It, it cannot be solely you commending or adorning the Gospel with your life. That's a part of it. It gives credibility. It makes the Gospel look beautiful, but it, it cannot communicate the Gospel enough to save. Were you going to say add something? Well, I was, I was just
4: going to put the scripture up. I'm, sure I'm, I'm, I'm going to perfect, but... It, it. says, um, I lost it. <laughs> it's sometimes. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: I lost it. Waited too long. Romans 10. About how beautiful are be the feet of those who, how will they hear without a preacher? Maybe not. It's two, nine,
3: ten. Teach slaves to be subject to the masters and everything, to try to please them, not talk back from them, and not steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God and Savior attractive. So it's a very specific application of it, but some of them to live in such a way that the truth you share is attractive. All right. I, re- I
4: remember it now because it, <laughs> it triggered it. Just, be ready always to give an answer to any man who asks the reason of the hope that's in you. They have to see a hope in you.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: That's part of the relationship, building a relationship is is the and, and the same thing. Live in such a way that men will see your works and work by your Father who's in heaven. It it's it's both. Mm-hmm. It's it's speaking the truth but but building the credibility in through relationship to be
0: Able
4: to speak that truth. If we live any way we please, what, you know, our words are empty.
0: Yep. All right, so I'm going to need you to take out your paper. And no, you're not turning anything into me. And no, this is not a pop quiz. Uh, If you would, I would like you to write, try to think about your life and think about. Uh, If I could put it this way, relationship circles or relationship buckets, relationship spheres. So I'm thinking categorically um, the types of relationships that you have in your life. I just want you to think, what are the big buckets? And then we're going to fill those buckets in with people. So, like, for instance, work. So, And then I I would like you to take that category and think, okay... Who would fit in that bill of unbelievers? Who might have a close relationship at work? And literally write down their names. So make the category, write down their names. Maybe family would be another one for you. Uh, maybe like Tim and I, we're on a hockey team, or maybe you've got, you know, I don't know, whatever your thing is. You know, your cooking class or whatever take some time and think about that and then write it down. So, would anyone be willing to share their categories? You don't have to share the people within them, but the reason I ask is because some of you might have categories that other people don't, and that might help spark some of you to think, "Oh, well, I miss this bucket."
2: Friends, mm-hmm. okay?
1: Neighbors. workers? School
0: huh? Who's, I'm sorry, who said that? Yep. Family. Wait, family? <laughs> <laughs> <go> on?
1: Soccer.
0: <laughs> go soccer on? moms.
1: <laughs> And so, mm-hmm.
3: I was thinking work but work here now. But I thought some ministry relationships. Mm-hmm. So people that I've met through ministry mm-hmm. and that would apply to everyone here with parents work with children, parents of children. I actually put um, like social media Facebook on this there's some people that mm-hmm.
1: live Far away, and I only keep
0: up with them over Facebook or Instagram. So it's just kind of where we're at these days. Yep, that's actually a really good one. She can, oddly and weirdly, still maintain a close friendship with people remotely, which I don't understand that, but you can um, without ever even talking to them, just. By writing the messages or seeing the pictures. I, one of the ones that I wrote that haven't necessarily heard, but recreation or hobbies. I bought a boat two years ago, and that has been an amazing ministry tool. Of ministry. I know that sounds like kind of like sanctifying, you know, the boat, but. Um, It has oddly been uh, an amazing mechanism to build relationships with unbelievers, um, for which I'm very grateful. But that would be a hobby, that I have a whole network of friends that I might not have ever had um, had I not purchased that boat and and spent countless hours driving out to the lake and spending days on end on the lake. So that might be one that you could... uh, throwing too like I I think of Mark and all the basketball he plays um, and I'm talking about Mark Hunter and he plays basketball at LA Fitness and there are times when he's uh, I manage all the season tickets at the company we work at and he's asked He's has used those season tickets to take guys that he plays basketball with at LA Fitness to games to help further build relationships with them, which I think is super cool that he's intentional about that kind of thing. So I, uh, I have three things written down underneath this. Boldly share, intentionally expand, and genuinely maintain. So I think if we can focus our attention on these three aspects. So with respect to those spheres of relationships and the people within them, we need to boldly share the Gospel with those people that are in those spheres of relationships that we already have. Okay. Now I'm going to step on some of your toes. Some of you might not actually have... Very many people in those buckets, which is a problem. If your life is so insulated from the world that you don't have people in those buckets, that—that is. uh, Now, I'm not saying there's never an exception, but that is—that would be the exception, not the rule. You are to live a life that is on mission to share the good news of Jesus with other people. So we must boldly share, and I would encourage you, if you have a weak uh, roster of people in those categories, that you need to then, to uh, intentionally expand your relationships. Be uh, very intentional about making that a priority in your life. That the way I'm going to live my life, I'm too busy. Well, maybe you need to unbusy yourself so that you can... If you're too busy to share the gospel, there's problems. Like something has to give. I don't know what gives, but something has to give. I, I know I'm not living your life, so I can't... Uh, I'm not trying to tell you how to live it per se, but something has to give so that you can fulfill the Great Commission. So boldly share with those that you already have relationship with. Intentionally expand your relationship circles. And then number three, we touched on this before, but genuinely maintain those relationships. So even when they reject the Gospel, continue to maintain that relationship. Don't just push them off to the side. Continue to foster that relationship. Who's to say that God doesn't... God doesn't save them on the first, second, third, or nineteenth try, but the twentieth time you talk about the gospel, or maybe you never talk about it again, but God uses all those conversations and then just the consistency of your life to one day the Spirit of God convicts them of their sin. And they come to saving knowledge. Of You're not in control of that, neither am I.
2: Yeah. I think too that Every time you're with this person or people that you have as your relationships, you can't hammer the gospel at every time you talk. them. Uh, I don't want to downplay giving them the gospel, but I, I don't think doing that is a... I don't want to say it's not a, bad, a good idea, but just in the one relationship I have, I know that if I talk about it too much, that I get the the push off. But I, I got to wait for the right time and the right moment, the right tone of the conversation, to then say something about the Lord and salvation and what the Lord's done for Susan and I or in my life individually or whatever. It just can't be. Hey, you know, you need to think about getting saved. You know talk to you about 35 times about this now you you can't do that I, i don't think you can i don't think it'd be a good idea but you have to maintain that relationship so when the opportunity does come along to say something you're there you've got that relationship and you can say something
0: okay so can you think of some potential uh, dangers, might be a little bit harsh of a term, but can you think of some potential dangers or maybe cautions that we should be thinking about with respect to relational dangers?
3: Okay. I, just, and, um, when you there, I was thinking of right free so that, my sister and my parents. Um, I became a believer when I was in 10th grade, and... I discovered the answer to the question that had been plaguing me. You know, I found hope where I had hopelessness before. And I was so excited to tell my family, and it was just, you know, when I just shut down, they were like, can you just shut up about this, basically? And it was very disheartening as a young guy, as a new believer. Um, as opportunity presented itself, I would share more, but but I chilled out, you know. After after getting that rejection, but over the years I just I saw that my family couldn't get away from that. He didn't need me; he was pursuing me. And years later, after God brought many people into my sister's life, that just built on top of what He did in my life, and that she saw He saved her, and that was that's just something that sticks with me is you, know, you pray for them, you share the good news, but like your dad was saying, you you can't, you know, it's not like it's up to you and you just have to keep hammering away, but right? you communicate it and then you show love and keep the relationship and over time God pursues us.
2: Didn't you say in one of the early lessons that it's not our job to convert people? It's yeah. our job to, we can't yeah, I know, well, I mean, I know that, but it's not our job to make sure that they sign on the dotted line that they have accepted Christ or whatever. It's our job to give the gospel, and God will do the work from that sin being planted. Makes think of uh,
1: something that I picked like, up with counseling. Like, I'm just listening to people's stories and it's just the idea that you listen, you listen, you listen and when it still doesn't quite make sense you ask more questions and you listen it just makes me think of with relational evangelism that you are always listening to that person and trying to understand their needs and presenting the gospel Show how Christ fits with their needs and what, what they're struggling with. So, in, in the beginning, when you said in the context of your relationship with them, it was fitting what's organic already. You're already talking about the struggle of whatever or whatever it is that comes up, and just being able to listen and know I know enough now and I can share effectively how Christ can save them with what they are facing related to that too. But it takes that time like you're saying, you can't just always it's not like your first comeback to everything it's asking the questions that building that trust and care
0: through those conversations. So, we got sidetracked. So I'm going to repeat the question because we went back to the last one, which is fun. So potential dangers. I'm going to give you, uh, for sake of time, I'll give you at least one. Um, one of them that we'll discuss, we'll to spend at least half a lesson to a whole lesson discussing this, is becoming like those we are evangelizing. Right? If, we're, if we are doing the hard work of re, like, really relating, right? Genuine, heartfelt relationships with unbelievers. We are not Jesus. So we are incapable of, or He was incapable of sinning. We are very capable of sinning. Um, that's um, our original natural bent, right? Um, yes, we have a new nature. But that new nature is still at war. Um, so we need prayer. We need accountability. We cannot evangelize in a in a isolation. Uh, we need the context of the local church with brothers and sisters around us that keep us accountable um, and that hold us up. Um, that's why isolation is, is so bad. So becoming like those we are evangelizing would be one danger. Marcy? Um
1: I'd say another danger that I can fall into is when you have really invested in relationships and then you really pray through speaking outright the gospel and then you are rejected, giving up. I really put my all in this, I really prayed for this, and you feel like the rejection is on you, but it's not. They are rejecting the Lord, which is far more serious than rejecting me. But it it does make you think, I'm clearly not doing this right, this is never going to happen, I give up.
0: Connected to that, I think it's very easy, um, to, not necessarily intentionally so, but to look at the, like the goal is building the relationship, and then we never end up sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never open our mouth with boldness and grace, seasoned with salt and communicate build a relationship (laughs) and like we think somehow like well that's enough but that's not Mm -hmm. another one that i i put down is just in our human nature we are creatures of extremes so we like to think of whatever thing that we're doing that's the only way so it would be very easy to think, oh, well, relationship evangelism, that's the only way to evangelize. That's the best way. No, it's not. It's, it's one of many ways. And think of Apostle, the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Acts. I mean, he was going into synagogues, right, or going into cities, and he was just preaching the gospel, right? He didn't have a relationship with some of these people. He just walked in and communicated and then you have disciples who are going to their best friends and their families, and they're communicating the gospel and literally introducing them to Jesus in person. So you have a, a, a wide gamut of, of opportunities, and I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, relationship evangelism is the only way in today's culture. Well, it might be one of the better ways in American society, but it's not the only way. And to, to, to get like tunnel vision on this is the way, would be a danger. Uh, Actually, the article I gave you, which I didn't grab a copy of, but um, I I have no idea whether or not the uh, blog that it came from is is any good, so I cannot speak to the credibility of, but the article itself I thought was good in that it uh, basically... Discussed these polar opposite views of like the one-time evangelism encounter and then the relational evangelism experience. And that they're both good and they're both necessary. And th- it's not just a this or this. It's both. And so I thought I gave it to you. If you want to read it, great. If you want to throw it away, that's fine too. But I thought it might be helpful um, to think through... Um, the fact that there's there's not just one way to do this. Contact. What? Contact. Initial I think it's called, they call initial it initial contact. contact versus relational. One other danger and uh, I'm going to try to not wax eloquent about this, but I'm going to get a little personal with what I've been spending the last week doing. So my boss, Mr. Dawson, he teaches at the seminary, the um, Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. And this week is a pastor's conference. Actually, tomorrow morning starts a pastor's conference at Intercity. And so tomorrow morning he's teaching a workshop, and he has been uh, writing a commentary through the book of Acts. And so tomorrow, his workshop is going to be, it's entitled Missions. And it's basically a survey of missions through the, the book of Acts. And he literally starts at the very beginning and walks all the way through the book of Acts and the first two-thirds of his lesson and just goes, "Here's here it is. And the priority is on the proclamation of the Gospel. In order to make disciples, it is on the communication of the good news of the Gospel. And then, he transitions in his lesson to discuss this uh, theologian named Christopher Wright. He is um, kind of like a disciple of another old, now deceased, uh, famous theologian named John Stott. And this theologian, Christopher Wright, advocates that the mission the church's mission is not only the proclamation of the gospel but that it should be expanded to things such as caring for our creation, um, social justice sorts of, of things and, and, and on and on as list goes and mr. Dawson's argument is that it's not that those things like you know building a playground for the community is a bad thing. Those things adorn the gospel. But his argument is, is that when you elevate those things to be a part of your mission, that oftentimes those things actually usurp the primary part of your mission and become, in practice, the mission itself. And as I'm, you know, just editing all week, creating PowerPoint and reading and rereading and. All of a sudden I was struck with this idea that, okay, this dude, right, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He's probably got a good heart, thinks that he's thinking right. He's not he he, he puts the first part of his mission is the proclamation of the gospel, right? But then he adds to the mission. And I'm thinking what he's trying to do is like, I don't know how to like prime the pump, right? He's trying to like Grease the wheels, not the right way. My dad said, like, was it grease the skid? Or I don't know what that means. But, like, he's trying to, like, prepare the way, right? Like, if we just do these good things, if we build a community center, or we build a playground, or we do X, Y, or Z in the community, that we are endearing ourselves to these people so that we have credibility, we adorn the gospel, and now they'll be ready to listen. And I'm thinking, that sounds good. We that actually sounds a lot like the class I'm teaching. Maybe I shouldn't be teaching this class. These are the thoughts I've been having this week. I'm like, oh, crud. And I'm like, well, relationships aren't bad, right? Larry just read a text from, what is it, Titus 2, or I can't remember where. I mean, and it was all about that worker adoring the gospel so that when he Proclaims the truth, it is acceptable and consistent. But I think if I could uh, bellow out a caution, may we never replace the message with the relationship. May we never replace the message with this, like the idea of adorning the gospel or with the idea of, you know, trying to just. Get it like, like just being buddies with these people. No, we need to communicate the gospel. I agree with my dad wholeheartedly. We can't just beat them over the head with it. The context of the relationship, hearing, as Jess said, the, the struggles and the, and the pains of their life, and then we can insert the gospel. We'll talk about that either next week or in a couple weeks. But may we never replace that message. The message, if you remember back to um, we have credibility, we have confidence, and what was the last one? Conversation. We must converse. We must communicate the Gospel. Last thing that we'll conclude with. I have five suggestions. I'm taking these from an article called Nine Principles of Relational Evangelism by a guy named Randall Neighbor. Um, I'm just stealing five of them, and I've tweaked them a little bit, but I thought they were very valuable, practical, helpful insights on how we can uh, just do relational evangelism well. Number one, focus on building deep friendships. He says, What your unbelieving or unchurched friend is desperately searching for is God's unconditional love flowing through someone just like you in the context of a friendship. The world in which we live is strong in communication. Think Facebook, Twitter, all that. And weak on deep relationships. So we're good on the surface. We're bad on the depth. So... Be a good friend that cares, and your lost friend will see Christ in you, even if you don't consider yourself a spiritual giant. So number one, focus on building deep friendships. Number two, be the kind of Christian unbelieving people have never met before. This one was uh, particularly, uh, I thought, helpful. Most Christians are willing to serve the lost, but would never ask the lost to serve them in some way in order to build a genuine friendship. This is because of pride. Real friends show their weaknesses and are humble enough to ask others for help. I I can't remember who said it, but I think it was my dad's or something. I use the term reciprocity. But that it's a genuine... Uh, relationship in both ways i think of my buddy joe I, I i've never played hockey in my life until a year almost two years ago i started playing hockey um january of 2018 a bunch of guys wanted to get together we didn't know any but any of us we, none of us knew each other we got thrown into one team and this guy named joe palmer is, is on, on the team well, through the boat and through just normal stuff of life, he and I become really good friends. Well, you know what I can't do? I can't fix my own boat. You know what Joe's really good at doing? Fixing stuff like that. And you know what Joe and I do a lot together? We go and we surf on my boat and he fixes my boat and he gets free rides on my boat all summer, anytime he wants. And he gets free Claudius pepperoni rolls. Shameless plug for those. They're the best pepperoni rolls ever. But he gets free pepperoni rolls anytime he wants from me. And we're just, we've grown good to be good friends and it's through all of that interaction I am completely content saying, dude, I don't know anything about what's wrong with my boat. Can you please come help me? Just like, He's completely content calling me and, like, hey, you want to come play cornhole? You know, or hey, can you come help me do whatever? And it's that kind of thing where we can, and I'm not trying to say I'm humbled, um, but it's that sort of relationship that is reciprocal. So, number two, be kind, that kind of uh, Christian, unchurched people I've never met before. Number three, cross pollinate your unbelieving friends with your fellow believing friends. I'm not trying to just use all these amazing examples of myself because I'm not an amazing evangelist. But I go back to hockey and I think, how cool is it the way God has orchestrated this? So Tim Duser, he plays in, in our hockey league. Bruce Mason, I don't know if you guys know him, he plays in our hockey league. When I first started, Billy Cochran, if you know him, Billy and Madison, Billy played on our hockey team every once in a while. We had... And, and this is mixed into a bunch of... Uh, in the middle of a bunch of unbelieving guys. And we have Christians intermingling with unbelievers. So cross-pollinate. That's what it's talking about. Is mix them all up. Like, yeah, yeah. All right, I'll keep going. And then i will stop elaborating. Avoid duplicity. This one... Uh, I don't necessarily like the way he put it as in avoid duplicity, but my dad has exemplified this his entire career at DTE, and you'll get it when I read it. It's important that you speak to your Christian and pre-Christian friends, this author calls it, about the same things and in the same way. Some Christians share deep spiritual things with other Christians, but not with their unchurched or unbelieving friends. They think, my lost friend just wouldn't understand, so I won't talk about my spiritual struggles or victories around them. This may sound like common sense, but it does not draw lost people to Christ through you. To see a friend come to Christ, you must speak to the person about what God is doing in your life and what you are talking to God about each day. When you openly share how you and God relate to one another, your lost friend will... Quickly see a spiritual contrast between their perception of God and your relationship with God through Christ. I remember I, I've never been able to really put it well, but my dad uh, I remember having conversations with him about, Dad, how do you share the gospel? Like he became known as a preacher, and in fact, he was just that every like an old. Old person reunion or something? I don't know, what was that? Like a retirement old, old person. Timer old timers. It was see it wasn't just me calling him old. It was an old timers party for DTE. And they asked him they, they sought him out and they asked him to pray. Why? Because he's the preacher. He's Detroit Edison's preacher. And that happened because he had he talked to those guys that he was on the shift with, like almost like they he assumed that they would he would they they would understand what he's talking about about the struggles of his life and that's what this is talking about last one this is probably my favorite though give and take refrigerator rights with unbelieving friends give and take refrigerator rights with unbelieving friends so I'm going to tell you an (laughs) amazingly funny story I have a friend named beautiful Bobby B so his name's Bobby Baylog. We grew up kitty corner to each other, and we have known each other since birth, basically. My mom tells me that like we were in like I don't know we were basically like yelling at each other when we were little little kids across the street. But every time he he lives in California now, every time he comes back to Michigan, he shows up at our house. Sometimes announced, most of the time not. He also eats our food and does not feel at all uncomfortable just walking into our house, sitting on our table, telling jokes and just hanging out with our family. He would feel comfortable enough to just walk into our house, open our refrigerator and take whatever he wants. He just texted me this week. This is where it gets really... Funny. So we grew up watching WWF wrestling, okay? And we would play in our basement. We'd take the sofa bed mattress out of the, the sofa bed. We'd lay it on the floor, and he and all his brothers and me and the neighbors, we would wrestle like WrestleMania in the basement. We would smack each other with pillows. It was great. So he texted me maybe yesterday or two days ago and said, "Hey, I bought tickets to the the uh, WrestleMania event." At the Little Caesars Arena on the twenty seventh of December. We're in the second row. <laughs> behind hot right by the camera. You're going with me and my brother. Thinking, oh my goodness, I don't I haven't watched wrestling since I was like ten. <laughs> and I'm going and sitting second row ringside at this crazy wrestling event. But here here it is, this dude who has refrigerator rights. And so the author says, many Christians claim to have friendships with the lost, but they rarely have the person in their home or spend time in the home of the lost person. If you want to legitimize a friendship, invite your friends to your house frequently enough for them to freely take refrigerator rights and grab a can of pop out of your fridge without feeling like a guest. When they reciprocate, you have reached a level of friendship that few unrelated people achieve in our world. This is the depth of friendship required to reach someone for Christ with relational evangelism. If you think that you are too busy for this, I'd like to challenge you to rethink your priorities. Being too busy to relate to others is not Christ-like. Christ spent a lot of quality time with people. Refrigerator runs. When was the last time you had an unbeliever in your home for dinner? Or for lunch? Just to hang out? It's probably been a while. Would be my guess. Refrigerator rights. Relational evangelism. Is it the only way? No. That's a good way. And it's, and it's a great way in the context of the United States. You have relationships. You have buckets. Think through those buckets. Share the good news of Jesus. Gain credibility. Hopefully they will have confidence in you and you can communicate the message of the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for our time. I pray that it would be challenging and that it would be helpful. In your name we pray. Amen.